Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the third and final hour today of the Live with Me Rank Show. Appreciate you tuning in as I do each and every day. If you would le- like to be part of the program today, love to hear from you. 269 441 9595. Right before the break, I was telling you about the scientists and doctors on the Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee, which is the FDA vaccine panel that all of the data is submitted to first, or somehow gets to them first. They make a recommendation. Then it goes to the FDA and either agrees with that recommendation or doesn't. It's my understanding, if I remember from previous reporting, they don't have to take the recommendation, but I assume they'd have to explain if they didn't. This last issue with the fourth dose for people 50 and older, they didn't go to them. They skipped them. Now, I would want to know, I don't care if it's Trump, I don't care who it is, if it's Ronald Reagan as the president. I would want to know why they skipped the normal process. And this again, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who may just need that straw that breaks the media camel's back. No one's pounding on these people and why they did it. I don't even know if Fox News did. I don't remember seeing reporting of it. They may have. But I do not see this whole uh, um, group of these great journalists asking a very simple question. Why did you go around it? Now, again, they may have, and it was blown off, but I don't remember it. So in this article in the Daily Caller, they spoke to many of the, or several of the doctors and scientists on this board, and I read to you their comments before. They have no idea why they haven't sent it to them. One doctor, scientist, said, quote, the way it's working here is that the government basically just declares that this is what they're going to do, end quote. Kind of going back to that attorney, David Delaney, we had on in the last uh, last segment of the first hour, first two segments of the second hour. For those of you who weren't listening, if you are at all interested in what's going on with the mask mandates in the schools issues, David Delaney, you may have heard that name on my show before or in the paper. He's the lead attorney. I think he's up to 14 different school districts that he filed suit against. And it for him, it all comes down to the delegation of powers. Legislative writes the law, executive enforces the law, judicial interprets the law. So the state house and the state senate writes the laws. The governor enforces that law. The judicial, our whole court system, determines or interprets the law. Well, in these schools, they decided to do the first two be the people who write the laws and enforce them, as as well as Governor Whitmer uh, also, after the first 28 days where I think she was covered. Same thing here. This is the FDA saying, yeah, you know what? We're just going to do both. Or the government saying, we'll do everybody's job on this one. I don't think it's illegal. It's just very suspicious. And then a Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious disease expert at the University of California, San Francisco, who does not sit on the FDA vaccine committee, said, 
it was rare for the FDA to ram this through an authorization in this way. Quote, I am concerned about the FDA making decisions on booster shots without input from the Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee. This is rare for the FDA not to consult with advisory committees before making approvals that affect millions of Americans, especially without a randomized trial or better data on the need for younger po uh, populations like 50 and over. And then Dr. Monica Gandhi, infectious disease expert at the University of California, San Francisco, said this. It's incredibly rare the agency to grant an applicant's broader authorization than it asked for, such as authorizing Pfizer's fourth dose to Americans aged 50 and older when the pharmaceutical giant only asked for approvals of ages 65 and older. That other doctor, Dr. Offit, who is on the panel, said, quote, the decision to do so completely shocked end quote him. Actually, no, it was Offit, who, not Dr. Monica uh, Gandhi. I'm sorry, it was Offit, Dr. Offit, who said it's incredibly rare. And he's on the panel. He added that there are other possible drawbacks from the run-of-the-mill side effects from the shots like fatigue and pain to immune system exhaustion. There are diminishing returns to each booster dose, he explained. Quote, the other thing that is created here, which I think is concerning, is the notion that there's just no downside to this, that you can just get booster after booster after booster, and there's no downside. I don't think that's true, end quote. Again, coming from a scientist on that FDA vaccine panel and co-inventor of the rotavirus vaccine. Dr. Messiner said, quote, I can't really answer the question. The question is a good one, but I cannot explain it, why they bypassed them. And then he went on to say, I don't know, ask the FDA, ask the Biden administration, ask David Kessler, the chief science officer of the White House COVID-19 response team. So now that I have laid out all that, and honestly, these deserve answers. Why did you go around? Why did you skip the normal process? I'm willing to listen to it. There may be a good answer. But the fact that they haven't answered that question or put it forth should tell you something. Number one. Number two, why did you broaden it? If Pfizer was saying, yeah, we think it only should be 65 and older because that's what they asked for. Why would you lower it to 50 and over? There's no way a pharmaceutical company's not going to ask for the moon because all they can get is less. For them to ask for 65 and older and then get an additional 15 years? Is someone making money off of this in the government? Is the Biden family involved in skimming money from this too? And then, you ready guys? Remember... They were pointing to an Israeli study. Now, some of the Israeli studies may be good, but they're all saying this one was not good because it wasn't randomized. You ready? A fourth shot of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccination increased protection against viral infection. Okay, that's good. For four to seven weeks. That's according to a massive study published Tuesday. The study included one point two. 5 million people 
age 60 and over in Israel who received their fourth dose between January and March. Israel only uses that Pfizer vaccine. Four to seven weeks. So you're going to do a monthly booster? And if you do a monthly booster, then we go back to that concern of that other scientist, Offit, who said, you think there's no downside? Let me see. Fatigue and pain. From run-of-the-mill side effects, from the shots like fatigue and pain to immune system exhaustion. If it's only good four to seven weeks. So let's go five and a half weeks in between. You're going to give a booster every five and a half weeks? And then what about immune system exhaustion? The reason we're at where we're at today in fighting COVID is we got Omicron, and it wasn't that big of a deal. I got Omicron. Well, I don't know what I got. Maybe it was Omicron. It really was nothing, if I remember. I can't remember exactly, but it was close to nothing. Which is a good thing because it gave me antibodies. And that was after I was vaccinated, though it may have been three or four months prior that I was vaccinated. 269-441-9595. I'm going to come back, take a phone call, and the Secretary of the Health and Human Services, Xavier Basira, had a different, an interesting conversation concerning mask and children the other day when he was in front of a committee. So we'll play that and more coming up right after this. Lines are open, 269-441-9595. You listen live with Rank. You're listening to Live with Rank. They go on to say something about salvation and drugs, or maybe that's just me. I put in that little uh, tag of drugs in there, and I thought they were going to say that. Let's go to the phone lines. John's been waiting for quite a while. I appreciate that. Lines are open, 269-441-9595. And so many uh, things to do here. Good morning, John. Thanks for waiting as long as you did. Uh, good morning, Rank. I was listening when you asked the question, and the question, as I remember it, and you certainly can correct me if I got it wrong, was what would the uh, reaction be if Trump went around the established policies and procedures and came out with a mandate? Uh, now, when we look at this question, okay, and I want other people out there that have different ideas because these are just my thoughts, okay, I haven't written anything on it, okay, as to what has happened and what is happening. You have two types of government establishments. You have the present establishment, which I would call progressive, Joe Biden, and you have the more traditional, which I would call the Trump people, okay? Now, very important in the process to look at all of this is that you generally will not get a big reaction with regards to what President Trump has done as a general thing, except to create noise rather than anything of substance. And there's a reason for that. 
President Trump, or the pre- the Trump doctrine as I see it, and I want others that see it differently to tell us what that is, took a traditional view, and that was follow the law, okay, as it's established, and give recognition to the three separate parts of government that Attorney Delaney was talking about today, okay? So Trump has been rarely overruled, particularly when it's gotten to the highest uh, court in the land, because Trump and his people, probably and most likely by instruction, have assiduously followed the law and tried to stay within the law. Now, the progressive form of government, which presently exists, has a different approach. The progressives have a great tendency to go around the existing law, okay? And they do what they want. A great example is the new nominee who's going to be appointed to the Supreme Court. When there was a law that said you couldn't review something because it was a Trump doctrine on uh, immigration, she just reviewed it anyhow and, and told Trump he was wrong, okay? And that was in gross violation. What the progressive form of government or the progressive activists tend to do is they try to make the law, no matter whether there's any prior support for it, okay, in accordance with their ideology and with the doctrine they want to promote. And that's the big difference between Trump and the progressives. Trump and the traditional form of government looks to see what exists as the law and attempts to hone its position in conformity with existing law or moves to change existing law. The progressives, they do what they want. They have little respect for the Constitution and little respect for the institutions as set up. And you have to remember this, which is very important. Not only is the federal government set up on a tri-party situation, legislative, executive, and judicial, it is a requirement under the United States Constitution that each state government be set up on a tri-party setup of legislative, executive, and judicial. That's referred to as the Republican form of government. And so basically you wouldn't be getting a lot of uh, annoyance with Trump because he really has not followed the procedures. The tendency of the Trump administration may be just because he knew of all the flack he was going to get, tended to follow the law as it existed and tried to hone his position in accordance with existing law. So you had brought up how the progressive are doing it today who are in office can you explain that one again because to me it sounded like similar to what trump was doing nope it that's not what trump was doing trump consistently no i got that part what were you saying about the the progressives well just like in the case that i pointed out in the federal district court of washington dc The progressives have a great tendency to go around the existing uh, policy, okay? They don't follow the policy and law. 
They tend to do what they want to do, and their objective is just to achieve their ideological goals. So they do what they want. And that's an example that I gave you for the new nominee to the Supreme Court. When the legislature told the courts they could not interfere with the discretion of, of, of Trump, okay, she went there and did exactly what the legislature told her she couldn't so she could achieve the ideological goals that she had. Okay. All right. So that being said, are you trying to answer how, because you brought up the question I brought up, how would that been accepted by the media, the mainstream manipulative media, if he, Trump or his group, had gone around the same process? You never... Well, if that had happened, and that would be a rarity because of the what I call the Trump doctrine of following the law, okay, and the policy, okay, if it was set in law and it was established, Trump more likely than not would make his uh, position in accordance with the law that exists, okay? They'd still hoot and holler, okay, because they hoot and hollered over everything. And every time he had an opinion that was different than their opinion, they accused him of lying. It wasn't lying. An opinion is, doesn't constitute a basis for a lie. Mm-hmm. A lie is only when there is something that you say that is totally contrary to what exists as fact. All right. All right, John. Thanks for your analysis on that, in-depth analysis. You have a great day. What about you guys? What do you think? 269-441-9595. Now, uh, to my question, I believe that he would have been crucified if he went around the normal process. And I, it is a legitimate question. That's what I want people to understand. Left, right, center, care about politics, don't care about politics. I think it's a very legitimate question. Why did you go around the normal process? And why did you broaden the age broader than the company that was asking? They wanted 65 and older. You gave them 50 and older. I think it's a legitimate concern and question. 269-441-9595. You listen to Live with Rank. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to the Live with uh, Rank show. Appreciate that very, very much. 269-441-9595. If you have a thought, let's keep it going a little bit more on the mask mandate. Yesterday, Xavier Becerra, he's the Secretary of the Health and Human Services, was in a committee meeting with uh, both left and the right. And this, I believe, is Republican Congresswoman Stepanek from New York asking why they still have a mandate to mask children under the age of five. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Secretary, I wanted to raise I'm hearing from thousands of constituents on who are very concerned about the mandate requiring masks for young children and toddlers in Head Start programs. We know based upon recent studies that Masks on young children cause limited vocabularies, delayed speech development, and difficulties with social interaction and confidence. 
in addition, we know that face masks disrupt holistic processing and face perception in school-aged children. Even the World Health Organization states, quote, children aged five years and under do not need to wear masks. Children of this age should not wear masks for a long duration. We know on the ground from constituents that this rule is still in place. The CDC revised its guidance on February 25th, indicating that masks are no longer necessary in the vast majority of this country. Why is your agency still imposing this harmful mask mandate on toddlers and young children in the Head Start program? Congresswoman, thank you for the question, because obviously we're still within this pandemic and it's a, a very salient question. What I would say to you is that we know that masks are safe and they are effective. We know that many of our children, especially those that are under the age of five, can still not receive a vaccine. And so therefore they are in danger of contracting COVID. Hundreds of families across this country would tell you about how COVID does hit those under the age of five because they have lost their child to COVID. And so we're gonna do everything we can to make sure those children are protected. When you have something that's safe and effective like masks, they should be used. And we obviously understand that the science is guiding us on, on the actual implementation of those policies. But I will tell you that uh, there's no contradiction in the fact that state uh, that masks have proven an effective way to help control COVID. So the position of you, Mr. Secretary, and the position of President Joe Biden is to require masks on children under the age of five, which science in fact proves the masks children, both in the development, whether it's intellectual development, speech development, that is the position of President Joe Biden. Congressman, as, as you know, many Head Start programs... It's a yes or no question. Is that the position of President Joe Biden? You are the cabinet secretary, so the position of this White House, this administration, is to require masks only at this point for children in the Head Start program. There's no requirement for masks at K through 12 across this country. So now we're in a position where the only mask requirements, and we know that science shows that those least impacted by the COVID pandemic are the youngest of young children. Congressman, the, the policies that, that the president has espoused and that we implement are, are to make sure everyone is safe and effective using the most proven methods possible. And that's what we will do. Even in the face of science, I mean, they they claim to have science on their side, but she's touted quite a few studies out there that explained the harm that is coming to these children by being masked, especially that young. I just thought that was an interesting exchange that you guys would enjoy and learn something from. Here's another exchange, shorter, but that same Homeland, uh, me, Human uh, Health and Human Services Secretary Becerra, when she he was asked a question, an interesting question, uh, by a congresswoman. I think her name is Roe Bears. As a Secretary of Health and Human Services, can you define for this committee what is a man? You're looking at one. Great. So you are a man. I like that. Can you tell me, can men get pregnant? Uh, unless you know something I don't, uh, I think the answer is pretty obvious. What is that answer, sir? I'm asking you, is there something you know that I don't know that would say that a man- Well, I'm asking what you know. Can men get pregnant? I'm not aware of it. Okay. Well, um, Mr. Secretary, materials coming from your department, you've referred to mothers as, as birthing persons, replacing that title with 
Are, are mothers not persons? Mothers are persons, but it seems to be more inclusive, like you're trying to include another gender in that. I'm all about inclusion, Congresswoman. There you go. Very artfully done in dodging answering the question. And perhaps the judge, uh, Brown Jackson, could have certainly learned from that. So that was just another interesting conversation, I thought, or back and forth. Now on to what we're going to see more of, and it's already started. So you guys be prepared and you know what's coming next because of the election that is coming our way. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warned a House panel Wednesday, so that would be yesterday, that a Russian's aggression in Eastern Europe will have, quote, an enormous economic repercussions in Ukraine and beyond, end quote. So they're going to try to blame all of the inflation on what's happening there. Now, I think certainly not maybe a little bit on the food side because they're supposed to be uh, more a big producer of wheat. Although I'm not sure how much we as opposed to the European countries get from them. So you'd have to measure that. You'd have to answer that question. How much of our wheat do we get from them? Because we could probably get a lot less. We ship a lot of our wheat out, I believe. So we just need to stop uh, shipping that out and keep it here to deal with that issue in Ukraine, number one. And number two, you could certainly count maybe some of the... um, Well, no, I take that back. You can't count some of the oil issue. And this is why they're going to try to say, and they are saying it's Putin's fault. I explained this the last time we spoke about it. If there's a world market for oil, and if I memory serves me correct, I think they say there's about 100 million, 120 million barrels of oil a day. Think about that. And there's still 100 years with the oil out there. Man. The size of those. Anyway, 100, 120 million, whatever it is of barrels a day that is consumed by the world. And because Russia is being banned from a lot of countries or people are, countries are not buying oil from them, you would think then, okay, there'll be less supply out there. But that's not true because other countries are buying it from them. Maybe countries who have not committed to not buying it. So you can get Pakistan, India, China, who are buying it at a big discount, actually. So those countries who are actually buying the oil from Russia would have been getting their oil from somewhere else if it wasn't for what's happening there. So we're basically moving, I think, deck chairs so it's a zero-sum game that's my thought because if you're taking i don't know three and a half million i remember a number being bantied about about russian oil three and a half million barrels of oil off of the market a day That's really not going off the market. It's going to someone, and that someone would have bought that $3.5 from the general market anyway. That's the way I see it. 
Now, there may be a different answer to that. It's just that's the way I see it. So you have the Biden administration saying, quote, globally spillovers from the crisis are heightening economic vulnerabilities in many countries that are already facing higher debt burdens and limited policy options as they recover from COVID-19, end quote. She said the Russian invasion, quote, including the atrocities committed against innocent Ukrainians in Bucha are reprehensible, represent an unacceptable affront to the rules-based global order and will have enormous economic repercussions for the world, end quote. I don't know what the atrocities, how they will have an enormous economic repercussion. She touched on the need for food and energy security and debt sustainability globally. Well, that's interesting because all we do is keep printing more and more money. So why don't we worry about debt sustainability in the United States and then worry about debt sustainability globally? You listen to Live Birth Rank, 269-441-9595. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Live with Rank. Appreciate that. As we're talking about what's happening over in Russia, excuse me, Ukraine via Russia, I brought this up yesterday, but I didn't get a chance to discuss it. Here is the Army General, Mark Milley, who's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And he said this about the current conflict over there. My advice would be, Uh, to create permanent bases, but don't permanently station. So you get the effect of permanence by rotational forces cycling through permanent bases. Uh, And and what you don't have to do is incur the cost of family moves, uh, PXs, schools, housing, and that sort of thing. So you cycle through expeditionary forces through forward deployed permanent bases. And I believe that a lot of our European allies, especially those uh, such as in the Baltics or Poland or Romania or elsewhere, uh, they are very, very willing to establish permanent bases. Uh, they'll build them, they'll pay for them, et cetera. NATO is going through a process right now to really kind of uh, assess how the, we expect that the, the uh, security architecture in the region uh, is going to change for the foreseeable future or has changed for the foreseeable future. Uh, with that in mind, then, you know, we'll look to work with, to, with NATO to, if, if NATO deems that it's appropriate to, uh, to change its footprint, uh, then uh, certainly we'll be a part of that. Our goal is to make sure that we continue to reassure uh, our allies and partners, especially those that are on the eastern flank, uh, and, and especially uh, our, our, our uh, allies that are in the Baltic area, the Baltic region. So uh, this is a work in progress. That last person was the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin. So build permanent bases we were trying to get away from putting bases or more bases in europe under trump we were going that way under this administration we're going the opposite way now yes it did it is a reaction i assume to russia's invasion of ukraine (laughs) we are going the opposite direction of where we should be going and where we were going with President Trump. I hope more people realize that. Take their bias uh, that they have of the President, Trump, 
for his tweets, his mouth, his name calling, whatever. Yes. If it would probably in the long run would have been better if he didn't go down that route. But that was him. And just realize where you were three years ago. And look where we're at today. And ask yourself why. Let's go to the phone lines. And uh, we have uh, Dick from Kalamazoo. Good morning, Dick. Welcome to the show. Good morning. I called you about eight weeks ago and made a statement in regards to the end game here that the United States is playing in a new world order. I've got an article I'm going to email to you, but I want to read something that Millie said along with what you just played that, that, that fits right in with us. He said that uh, a rule, he changed the word for new world order because that caused such a, a stir to rule-based international order. Rule-based international order is just another way to say global order. It really means nothing other than Washington-based global order. Well, let me ask you this. Did he put it in context? I mean, it would be nice to have some uh, rules out there like don't attack your neighbors. Uh, But... How it depends what they were, what the intent or what context I would like to know, in which he said that. Well, you'll get it when I send you the or, when I send you the article. But the United States is on a mission. You you and your listeners want to believe it or not, and I've done a lot of research on this. That they want to when Obama came into office and he says that he was going to, you know, change. Uh, I, I, I don't have the exact words to use, but it's going to change the order of the United States. It all goes back to his statement and what has been carrying forward over the last eight, eight years here. The United States is trying to put themselves in a position, and that's why, if you read this article and others, you'll see that the United States has as much implication on their hands with what's going on with Ukraine as as Russia does. Let me ask you this. Why would the United States, that's lessening their power, want to get involved with that? No, it isn't. Because they want to bring down, there's there's three or four countries that would resist the new world order. China, Russia, Iran, and and Korea. And And the kingpin of all those is the United States. So if they can bring down the United States then, then they believe the others will, will fall in place. So Russia is one of the is one of the uh, uh, main countries that that they want to topple the regime. There, they want to get rid of Putin. And they'll. And, Are and you saying people, that those countries would want a new world order because that would harm the United States? No, I'm saying to you that the United States wants to control the world. Is what I'm telling you. All right, so your belief is that if this was to come up, it would be the United States on top, not someone else. Or we wouldn't just be part of a collective group like the the European uh, Union. The United States right now through NATO and and other alliances we have are been 
have been putting the thumb on these other other countries, big and small, to agree to certain requirements uh, to get our, our our protection. And if and if they don't join in, then then you, then the United States, in my judgment, has plans to economically uh, 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 destroy these countries. All right. Take control of these countries. All right. Well, I've got to go. I'm at the end of the show here. I do appreciate you calling in. Thank you very much. That is an interesting uh, concept. Certainly, there's a lot of talk about that out there and what uh, people are, are, you know, think is going on. Earlier in the show, I asked you, because I brought up the whole issue with the big news in a lot of the papers these days, Trump endorsement, Trump endorsement, it's going to be tested, it's going to be tested. So they're talking quite a bit about it. And then they brought out what the chair of the Republican Party said was disinformation and said that uh, Chair Weiser looked to the Tom Leonard, who's running in the race, against Matt DiPerno and a third one. Matt DiPerno has Trump's endorsement. And uh, the papers were saying he told them to step aside uh, because he'll have, uh, I I forgot what the reason, because he doesn't have Trump's endorsement or something like that. And and I explained to you, if you want to believe it or not, what the chair and the spokesman came out and said about it. Basically, no, we just said it's going to be a tough competition. He may also think about running for the 8th district. Then I asked you, does the Trump endorsement mean anything to you? I got an email from one of you said, not an automatic vote for me, but I definitely researched deeply into a Trump endorsed candidate, but I research every candidate. That's what I'd like to hear. That's exactly what you should be doing. And uh, Michael wrote, I support President Trump. However, his endorsement of a candidate doesn't sway my opinion. Now he went on to explain about uh, Matthew DiPerno, but that's exactly the way you guys should look at it. You may favor or take a second look at someone who's being endorsed by President Trump, but just don't make it a slam dunk necessarily. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show today. I appreciate, appreciate it very, very much. You're listening to me, Rank, on the Live with Rank Show. You guys have a great, safe day.